That idea of changing our world goes along with our mission statement to know God, to be his people, to value others, and to change our world. And while we are ordinary people, when we are coupled with extraordinary purpose, we can live extraordinary lives. And that's really what this series is about. Uh, last weekend, we sort of unpacked uh, our God-sized vision. If our mission is our reason for being, our vision statement says, okay, what does that look like when it becomes reality? And we launched this in September of 2008. And our God-sized vision is building the church, pardon the abbreviations, changing our world, a GSV, say God-sized vision, for CLC. And in 2008, I said that'll run probably five to seven years. We did GSV 2.0 in 2015, and now we are here as GSV 3.0. And last week, and we, and we talked about the words of Jesus, the last words of Jesus in Acts 1.8, before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait to receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the UMP uttermost parts. That's where you live. Uh, kind of going out in concentric geographic circles. That's across the region. Church, the church multiplied. Samaria was people that were similar but different. And then uttermost parts is foreign missions. Last weekend, uh, we unpacked what God has done through us uh, in the uttermost parts of the earth. And uh, we have way more whiteboard than I should ever have on one service. Uh, so I'm either really happy or in trouble. But this is uh, what we unpacked. I'm not going to redo it all, but we just say everybody prays, everybody gives, as we send people, and everybody prays about going. It's not God's will, I don't think, for everyone to go on a foreign missions trip, but at least pray about that when the opportunity comes up. And this is a whole lot of math trying to show what our goals were for GSV 2.0. And uh, at that time, our goal for GSV 2.0 was to have eight more uh, ICBCs. They have 13 ICBCs in Africa, and that stands for in community by community. It's a church, holistic church community. And instead, we overshot that goal by quite a bit. We have 30 ICBCs, and our goal for GSV 3.0 is to go to 60 church communities in our partner country of Eswatini. So you can give God praise for that. Uh, we made a goal of stepping back across the ocean to have a major partnership in Latin America, and Child Hope is our partner there. You saw the video last weekend. We helped build a school there. And uh, for the first time since COVID has opened up, Pastor Chris is taking about two dozen uh, members of our senior high ministry to a missions trip in Costa Rica to work with that school we helped to plant. So uh, we are stepping back across to the ocean in Latin America. And uh, all this math here I can simplify for you. Uh, our plans over the next GSV run is to send over 4 million meals to Africa, uh, to Eswatini. 20% of the nation of Eswatini, of a million people, are AIDS orphans. And so James 1.27 says to care for widows and orphans in their distress. So we send those meals and we plan to invest over $8 million internationally. So when it comes to uttermost parts of the earth, God is alive and well. Our, Greg, our, our guest, Greg Mundus, last week kind of shared exciting things God is doing. And so that's our uttermost parts. Uh, to be honest with you, as I was prepping this message, in fact, last night, just before I came on stage, Pastor Shane said, you need anything? I go, I need clarity. How am I supposed to preach this guy? I'm still not sure. And so I came into last night's sermon really trying to figure out how do I best connect this? Because I'm talking about the God-sized vision, but, but as important as that, there are two messages or two uh, truths, life lessons 
in the message, in the vision that are important. So if you're like, ah, oh, it's just vision stuff, I'm leaving. No, don't, because there are two take-home truths that are gonna apply to our lives in very practical ways today. So let's start with Judea. Uh, our theme being ordinary people uh, living out extraordinary purpose. And when it comes to Judea, uh, a theme for that could be the positive from the pain. How many of you ever had pain in life? Maybe even in pain right now. Physical, emotional, mental, relational, whatever that might be. And a verse that is sort of a proof text for that is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, the Apostle Paul says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And there's a great example of that because uh, things that happen, how many of you have things that happen in life you didn't plan or didn't want to go that way? Okay, if it hasn't happened, just live a little longer, it will, all right? And so what about those things? Paul says to have courage, if you will, to, to be hopeful because God can cause all things to work together for good. He can get some good out of it. It doesn't necessarily make that pain worth it. Oh, I'm glad it happened. But if it did have to happen, at least there can be something come from it. There's a biblical example of that in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is uh, telling the story of uh, how a man named Saul, who was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader, who hated this new religious group of Christians that was growing in Jerusalem. And he would later become Paul, miraculously, but he was persecuting Christians, having them thrown in prison, dragged out of their homes, beaten, stoned to death, take their property. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. He was one of the leaders of the New Testament church in Jerusalem, and they stoned him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem to build sort of the home base of the church. But Christians, fearing for their lives, scattered across Judea and Samaria and throughout Galilee. Now go to chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, verse 31. That's several years later, at least four or five years later. And we see, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Romans 8, 28, Stephen dies as a martyr. Christians in Jerusalem are persecuted, thrown in jail, beaten, their property seized. From that, people scatter, and in scattering, God said, okay, they, did, they didn't leave their faith. They just left Jerusalem. They took their faith with them, and when they settled in Judea, they shared their faith. What began to happen? Churches began to be born. They settled in Samaria. What happened? Churches were born. So the very command Jesus gave, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, he's saying this currently to people who are Jerusalemites. Like saying, you're going to be my witnesses in Dayton and Chicago and L.A. and Kansas City, but we're all in Dayton. Something horrible happened, but God got good from that, and the church spread across the region. So for us, Judea now to us means church multiplication because it's God's intention for the church to spread and for the church to multiply. And so as part of our God-sized vision, the offering that you just gave, 25% of that goes to our God-sized vision fund from which we are involved in the process of church multiplication in Judea, really across the region, across the United States. And uh, so in the last three years alone, we have given uh, $400,000 to 14 churches to help start 14 churches. And there's a map that shows you they are all across the country, east coast to west coast, uh, and all throughout the Midwest as well. And you are part of that. 
We've got some slides to show just the vitality, uh, the great diversity of these churches and the different areas that they're in. You can see you make a difference. Uh, the next slide shows more of those churches, 14 churches. And finally, it shows that you're making an impact in different communities uh, that are being changed. One life, one church at a time. And so uh, there's a, a video that is a thank you. Really, it belongs to you. So I, I go ahead and pay attention to this and enjoy this video. When it comes to churches, one size doesn't fit all. God uses people with a variety of gifts, with ways of doing church that are just as unique as the leaders he calls. Whether you live in an urban, suburban, or rural context, God wants to work in your community. To do this, we've trained and resourced church planters to help facilitate the launch of thousands of new Assemblies of God churches in America, the ultimate goal of developing leaders and multiplying the church. The CMN is a collection of stories, moments, people, and places church multipliers with a call to see lives changed. People who invest their talents and time into seeing the next generation of leaders resourced, encouraged, and equipped to reach their community with the gospel. At CMN, we believe in the power of a God-given dream and what God can do through those who follow him. Hey, good morning, CLC. My name is Alan Kendrick, and I'm the pastor of Vivid Church located in Lexington, South Carolina. I want to let you know how the God-sized vision has impacted our church. A few years back, we needed to renovate one of the buildings that we had access to on this campus. Now, we're located in a storefront facility that is only 3,000 square feet. It seats 150 people, and we had two rooms for kids. And we needed to expand into another facility located right next to us that we had a lease agreement on. And you guys actually stepped up, and out of your generosity, you covered the cost to renovate that facility so that we could add another 1,000 square feet for our kids' ministry. I want to say thank you for doing that. And since launch, I want to show you in our executive summary some of the key stats that now you get to share in as people who onboarded with us. Our average weekend attendance is 320 people in just over two years. We've seen 170 people come to know Jesus, 69 people get baptized, and we've dedicated 31 kids. It's been an amazing two-year journey, but I'm so excited about what God's doing next. Thank you for your generosity to help us make more and better disciples, leading people into the vivid story that God has for them. I'm so grateful for you, and I want you to know it means so much to me. I'm Alan. Keep on living vivid. Hello, Christian Life Center family. My name is David Arujo, and this is my beautiful wife, Randall Arujo. We're the pastors here at the Heart of Lake Church located in Los Angeles. This year, 2022, we just celebrated our one-year birthday, and it's been exciting because God has done so much. I think about over the last year, just in 2022, 70 people have given their heart to Jesus. Yeah, and one of those 70 people is our friend Devin. Last year at this time, he gave his heart to the Lord. And since then, he got himself water baptized. He's serving. And recently in December, he actually was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, on top of that, we've had five people get water baptized. One of those was Devin, and yeah. another one of those was our son Ryan. So that was yeah. really special for us. We've had 14 small groups take place over the last year. And one of my favorite ministries is Heart Kids, where we believe in the next generation. So we are pouring into these kids, into these youth to become disciples of Jesus. We just want to say thank you to the God-sized vision team and Christian Life Center for investing in our church, investing in us, 
as pastors, but also investing in the people who are giving their hearts to Jesus here in Los Angeles. Next exciting. In the last three years, through your giving, $400,000 has helped plant 14 churches. And in one church alone, 170 people came to Christ. So that's amazing news. So here's what I want you to do. Here's an exercise. I want you to turn to somebody you did not come to church with, give them a thumbs up, and mouth the words extraordinary purpose with a smile on your face. Okay, now, if, now this is easy. Okay, you're going to gripe and complain. We're going to stand up and do it. All right? So just point at somebody, smile, and say extraordinary purpose. So let's, let's talk about Samaria now, all right? And uh, try to wrestle with a phrase that might capture the feeling of Samaria. And so I said, avoidance becomes opportunity. If we were to poll ourselves, we would find that all of us uh, tend to go to a handful of the same places, same parts of town, uh, when we go out to eat, when we go to work, when we have fun. It was just, 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 it's just our, kind of our habit. And it's kind of our, and we go outside, it's our, outside of our comfort zone. It's just places we're familiar or we're not. And so the same is true in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, there was, not only was there comfort zones and not, and different kinds of people in those places, but there was, there was also huge animosity in a couple of these places. And Jesus called people to go beyond where you're comfortable, even to places where you may have differences or prejudge people, prejudice, and make a difference. And so we see that reflected in Luke chapter 17. The story is Jesus heals 10 lepers. And of those 10 lepers that were miraculously healed, only one comes back to say thank you. He comments on that and it says in verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? This foreigner kind of has a little edge to it. All right, this guy, all right. Uh, and then you look in the Gospel of John and Jesus is traveling with his disciples and it says in verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. And he could have gone around it. In fact, many Jews of that day, there was such animosity between Jewish people and Samaritans that when they were on a trip, they would route themselves around Samaria so they wouldn't have to even see or deal with Samaritans. But Jesus had, to, he had an agenda. He had to pass through Samaria that day. If you remember the story, they left Jesus on the outskirts of towns and the disciples went in to get food. And so he sat down at the well in the middle of the day and a woman came to him and he asked her for a drink. She's got the, the, the pot. She has the ladle. And in verse 9, therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Since I am a Samaritan woman. And then the Bible parenthetically notes, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Tensions were high. Attitudes were entrenched. Jews felt like, some, like Samaritans were a half-breed, if you will. Uh, back in 722 BC, when the Assyrian army took over uh, that part of Israel, they compromised their faith and intermingled with, with Assyrians. And so that animosity existed ever since. But Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he'll give you the power to break down stereotypes and animosities and you'll be my witnesses and love people in Jerusalem, Judea, and even in people in different parts of town and different parts of, of your region that are different from you and you'll be my witnesses. 
And so you have heard me say, in fact, Wednesday, we had a couple of dozen uh, of our partners across the city join us, mostly churches, some organizations, because we're looking ahead to Love Dayton, which is coming in June. It's a day we set aside. We do dozens of projects all across the city, uh, side by side with other people across our city, uh, just loving our, our community. And I told them, because some I hadn't met, I said, if you're wondering why you're here, I said, I, I tell our congregation on a regular basis, God may have placed us at I-70 on the edge of our city, but he still holds us responsible for our city. And there are great needs across our community, depending on the area that you go to. Uh, uh, public schools in Dayton are struggling with high dropout rates and low proficiency uh, testing uh, pass passing rates. Poverty, Dayton has one of the worst poverty rates of mid-sized U.S. Uh, cities with 27% of the people living below the poverty line. Dayton has a serious drug problem. Uh, crime is, is, is high in Dayton compared to the rest of our region. And so there are lots of issues. And our heart goes out to people living in different struggling communities and parts of our city. And so God has called us to have compassion for and make a difference in our city. And so uh, we learned that it takes a heart for the city and you have to put your money where your mouth is. But if all you do is oh, look at that poor problem and throw money at it, it can be what we call toxic charity. And so we had to learn about that. And so you have to have a heart for it. You have to be willing to invest in it, uh, but also do some elbow grease, roll up your sleeves and get involved in the work. But that's not enough or that's just a social relief project. We have to add the gospel to it. And so when you add all that together, transformation can truly happen. And so that has been our goal with our inner city. And we learned uh, over the last several years, I'll talk a little bit more about that, you may be wondering what these two panels are. All right, that's kind of the punchline of the message and I'm gonna hold that, okay? Um, but we learned that uh, it's best for us to find, we have two sort of levels or groups of people we work with. We've got ministry partners all across the city. It may be a church of 40 or 50 people in a troubled neighborhood, but we wanna see that gospel pilot light stay on in that neighborhood. And so we, we continue to be women beneath their wings to help them. But there are other partners that we find if we do a deep dive partnership with them and invest a lot of time and volunteers and, and financial resources and, and working with them in developing their leadership and their strategy, they can really make an exponential difference in their area. And so that's why this past year we gave significant funds to Victory Project to launch a, a VP on the west side of Dayton. I just got a, an email from Monty over the weekend saying, I mean, you guys just have to hear how now the police department, even people in communities are saying to troubled youth, you need to get into VP, that can change your life. And that's a gospel approach to helping young people see their potential. So we do a deep dive, people like, like Victory Project. Um, likewise, we have invested heavily in uh, places like uh, Good Shepherd. We gave them a quarter million dollars from our What If offering, and they're doing a recovery ministry on the Near East side, helping people get out of drug and alcohol dependence. It's incredible what they're doing, and we're honored to be their partner. In addition to that, God has called us to, to partner with uh, places like uh, New Hope Church and like All Nations Bible Fellowship on the west side. Uh, and we just gave money to Compassion First to, to see them launch a, a new building. Uh, it's an old building, but it's a new location for them on North Dixie. And so we have some slides just to kind of give you a flavor for the kind of diversity that's happening across our city. This first slide is uh, CLCers along with VP guys uh, at Victory Project. 
Samaria. The next slide shows some of our partners uh, in north, south, east, and west. God's called us. Next slide. Uh, again, and even some of your money has gone to help buy horses at Eagle's Wing Stables because they minister to people with disabilities. And there's something about a horse that can really help calm somebody uh, and open them up to the love of Christ. Uh, next slide shows, uh, again, uh, some places that we've been involved through Samaria Serve, uh, New Hope Church, and uh, the bottom right, Good Shepherd Ministries. Two of those houses we helped to buy, their recovery houses for people coming out of addiction. In fact, the one on the right is labeled the Deb Littman House, named after after Deb, that was a huge part of our ministry. And the final slide uh, shows you Compassion First in their new location. There's Dottie Bailey. I'm sure Frank is in the mix as well. And so Compassion First uh, is a ministry that provides clothing to people. And when you come up the driveway here at CLC and you get to the Y, to the right is the Student Life Center. Behind that is the pole barn. And right in front of that are these three little house-looking kind of structures. And so bring your used clothing to those, stuff them in there. Uh, and what amazes me is that CLC gives away over 10 tons of clothing every year through those little houses. So yeah, give, give yourself a hand. But we thought it'd be better to put uh, Compassion First right there in the middle of things. So they're, they're on North Dixie and, uh, and continue to do a great work there with that new location. And so... We are looking at what does God want us to do in our, uh, our Samaria across the different neighborhoods of uh, Greater Dayton. And, uh, and so it's, it's learning about other people. And one thing that we're doing this month and next on Wednesday nights, uh, we often have deeper dive in the West Auditorium. We have a course uh, that is by Dr. Tony Evans. It's called Oneness Embraced. And uh, it is talking about reconciliation, unity, and justice from a biblical perspective. Join us for that at 7 o'clock in the West Auditorium. We'd love to have you with us uh, Wednesdays now through the end of May, except for the prayer, prayer night in the first part of May. So with that said, it celebrates the fact that uh, over the last uh, God-sized Vision 2.0 from 2015 till now, through our giving, we've invested over $1.4 million in Samaria kinds of ministries to make a difference. $1.2 million of that is all within Greater Dayton. And it's exciting to see the things that are happening. But you're still sitting there now saying, yeah, but what about those boards that are covered up in black? What does that have to do? All right. So the final point of the message says there's nothing like God's vision to teach you lessons. How many of you have been a Christian for a while? How many learned a few lessons along the way? All right. How many had some things in your walk with Christ that didn't go the way you thought? If that's, again, if that hasn't happened to you yet, just live longer. It will. All right. And so I want to I talk about what we've learned. And I guess we'll start with Judea, which is church multiplication. In 2015, this is the GSV board that I drew. Would you say everybody prays? Everybody gives? Everybody goes. At that time, we said twice a year because our goal in 2015, we already had a CLC Little York. We had a campus in Beaver Creek and then we had a campus in Piqua and we had launched a campus south in West Carrollton and our goal was to have a campus west and we were going to bring CLC to within a 20 minute drive of the half million people in the Miami Valley with all those smiling faces. 
Because our goal and calling, we felt, was to take our DNA, our mission, our vision, our values, and distill that down, two things about us. We feel that Christian Life Center preaches truth that matters, and we're a church that makes a difference. We wanted to have multiple services and ministries across greater Dayton. And our byline was one church in several locations. And then we started to realize uh, around 2017-18 that we weren't really telling the truth it wasn't one church in several locations. In fact, people would say, you know, when I go to our campuses, they don't feel like, like Little York does. And we actually ended up having, we had, at the time we had three campuses plus Little York, we had, we had four churches in four locations. And it's really hard to lead four different churches in four locations from one place. And so in 2019, we said, you know what? We feel like we're pushing a rock uphill with this whole multi-campus thing. Uh, some churches do it really well. We did not. And so we, we offered those congregations an opportunity to be their own church. And so PICWA folded back into our congregation. Uh, but there is a church on the uh, east side of Dayton, Faith Hope Church in Beaver Creek, and Family Church in West Carrollton is doing very well. So we launched them. And we said, okay, well, you know, campus didn't work, so I guess we're done with the whole Judea church multiplication thing. No, it's still something God calls us to do. He wants us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and, say and, and Judea, say and, and Samaria, say and, and the uttermost parts. Because when we first unpacked uh, the vision in 2008, we had Fairfield, whoops, and we were going to launch more. 2015, we had launched three of them. We were going to go more. And then we realized this, we just can't get this right. And, uh, and then, uh, as if that's not enough, I guess, humiliation for me as a leader, uh, we had Samaria. <laughs> Where do you hear this? So, everybody prays. Everybody gives. Everybody goes. Turn to your neighbor say at least once a year. Because that's still true. All right? Uh, and the say, this is still true. God has placed us at the edge of our city. He holds us responsible for our city. And we learn the same thing is held true, that it takes heart for people in challenged areas of our community, facing difficulties that you don't face on your street. Uh, it also takes money to give, invest in that. But if all you do is feel bad and give money, it's toxic charity. We have to learn what toxic charity is because you can give and helping can actually hurt people. But you want to give in a way that it helps empower them to become all that they can be. And so if you have a heart for the problems in the city and you give money, you're willing to invest money in the city and we've invested 1.2 million in the past several years and then you're willing to put your own hand to it all right, and you add the gospel to it, that's when transformation can really occur. That was true then, that is still true now. We still hold to that. But our goals in 2015, we were gonna, Love Dayton was kind of our umbrella, and we were gonna reach out and create partnerships with organizations, which we have. But here's where it got a little, it got ambitious. We were gonna create the Hope Network, and there were gonna be 18 inner city churches running 150 people a week uh, in their worship services. They were gonna preach salvation, see life change, biblically based, and help people to effective godly living. And we were gonna change our city. We even hired a full-time person to help us launch the Hope Network. We tried and we worked and we tried and we prayed and we tried again and we could not get that off the ground. You could say we failed, but we did. And uh, 
So we say, well, we're done with the city. No. In fact, most of the 1.2 million was in the last three or four years. And we're actually uh, ramping up to do more. In, we realized that trying to have something this wide, this broad was unrealistic. And so we realized deep dive partnerships with a handful can really impact more while still supporting a couple of dozen ministries across the city. So we had to retool and rework and reconfigure. And Proverbs 4, verse 7 is a verse. I, I memorized it when I was in high school. One of the first verses I memorized from the Living Bible. I used to read before I go to bed at night. Living Bible says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And all you're getting, get understanding. And so as you go through life, as you go through ministry, as you go through ambitious goals, uh, ask for wisdom and then get wisdom as you go through it. I'm sure no one else has ever failed. I'm sure no one else has ever set a goal and it didn't turn out the way you'd hoped. But just speaking for myself and us, we had to learn the hard way that fruitfulness includes failure. Would you say it includes failure? And that's where I want to kind of make a pivot now because I don't think I, we are the only people that ever failed at something. And to be honest, when Dirk and I were talking about how to communicate GSV 3.0 and we got all the GSV 2.0 boards out, I was depressed. I said to Dirk out loud, man, Dirk, we missed it by a mile. So if I still have a job Monday, <laughs> what do you learn from this? And you've failed. Some of you are sitting here and, and maybe it was a job. Maybe it was just a class. Maybe it was an academic program. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was a family. Maybe it was just personal goals, ambitions, dreams, whatever. And I've learned that when failure presents itself, which it will, it's an opportunity to go a couple different ways. I believe we have a spiritual adversary. The Bible calls him Satan. And one of his uh, descriptors is he is the accuser of the brethren. And I think he accuses the sisters too. And so he is real good at saying, <laughs> yeah, great leader you are. God says nothing. You really going to even tell people this? You're going to admit that? Swing and a miss, swing and a miss. They're having multi-campus churches all over, the world, all over the country and you can't do it. He's good at that. And, and he's good at that with you too. And he loves to browbeat us in our failures. John Maxwell has a, a book called Failing Forward. And I pulled a bunch of quotes out of it. And uh, Brittany's one of our volunteer interns. I say, hey, Brittany, I got too many quotes to use in this sermon. Would you go around and survey people and, and give me the top five or six quotes that people liked that really resonated? And... Uh, one thought is that every successful person is someone who failed, yet never regarded themselves as a failure. It's a little different. Bakers bake, salesmen sell, nurses nurse, but just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. Let that sink in. Let's first of all establish past hurts can make you bitter or make you better. The choice is yours. And it hurts to fail. I don't know about you. I hate to fail. Do not like it at all. So it hurts. It, it, I take a blow hard. And when achievers fail, they see it as a momentary event, 
Not a lifelong epidemic. Okay, that didn't work. Now what? Or, oh, that didn't work. I'm done. Which is the choice? Which is the opportunity presents itself? And here's an interesting thought. The less you venture out, the greater your risk of failure. Ironically, the more you risk failure and actually fail, the greater your chances of success. That's counterintuitive. But I guess if you think of any other area of life, do you ever try to cook or bake? If you cook or bake the first time, it probably doesn't taste delicious. But if you keep cooking and baking, sooner or later it will. And I haven't done it enough because it never tastes good when I make it. Or golf. How many golfers are here? Won't even admit it. All right. Twelve, Twelve of you. Okay. How many, how many former golfers are here? Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's me. I've told you, last time I golfed, I walked off the course and I said, I don't have to spend this much time and this money, much money to be this frustrated. And I quit. <laughs> now I ride a bike, no frustration whatsoever. Paddle a kayak, I feel fine. All right. But you, you, the first time you tee up, you don't hit a drive 250 yards. You don't make your chip shots on the green and sink 15-foot putts. You have to keep practicing. And guess what? And you mess up again. Then you slice and you hook. And you all kind of, and so, but, but the more you fail and then learn from it, say learn from it, and correct, say correct, then you can succeed. It's funny. I, I, I do mentoring with some pastors. And one of my themes in life has been I pray for wisdom. And, and, and my attitude is if your pain can be my gain, I'm all about that. I'd rather save myself the pain and learn from yours. And so likewise, I'm at a stage in life that if my pain can be your gain, I'm all about that. And so uh, these guys come together and, and in ministry for 44 years. It's, next month, it'll be 40 years. Joyce and I moved here to join the staff. And over, the, over that time of full-time ministry, I've just about been there, done that on most situations in ministry. And so my attitude to these guys is my pain, your gain. You know, when you pull on the campus of a big church and it's all pristine, you think everything's perfect and wonderful and wow. And so that lasts about a half an hour, so I start telling war stories. And I tell them, well, we tried that, that didn't go, that, that went really well, that didn't go well at all. That. And then by the time they leave, they feel great. <laughs> because it's like, man, I appreciate your transparency because I realize, and then they use nice words to say, you really messed up a lot. <laughs> Another thought from Maxwell is that more than anything else, what keeps a person going in the midst of adversity is having a sense of purpose. It is the fuel that powers persistence. And because I love Jesus and because you love Jesus and because Jesus, we say, Lord, whatever you ask. And Jesus said, okay, I want you to make disciples and I want you to go where you live. And I want you to plant churches, as hard as that might be. And I want you to go cross-culturally. And most churches don't do cross-cultural stuff. In fact, this is where we started. And back in, in 2008, we used, our biggest thing, we had 12 churches that we did Thanksgiving. That's a turkey there, my artwork, okay? And that's a gravy boat, in case you missed it. But at Thanksgiving, we used to give away a turkey and a box full of all the fixings to feed a family. And we fed like 2,000 families across Greater Dayton until we got, realized well, that was getting toxic. And so that was money we were going to invest and all that. But that was way back when. But we loved Jesus and he called us. He didn't say the first time it'll work and you'll learn, it'll go great. But I want you to keep following me, keep pursuing me, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking and growing. And I'll do beyond what you could ask or think. And then uh, final quote, playwright George Bernard Shaw asserted, a life spent in making mistakes is not only more honorable, 
but more useful than a life spent doing nothing and being safe. How many of you made some big mistakes in life? Let me see your hand. Thank you for doing it. Because the chances are much higher that you can live an effective life and a fruitful life than the person who played it safe. And I would insert there not just the life, but the church. Because there are far too many churches. And that's why one of the things that resonated with us in 2.0 is that we want to be a church that makes a difference. If Christian Life Center closed, which God forbid it never would, if Christian Life Center closed, we hope it sends shockwave ripples of, oh my goodness, now what? Because they're gone. We want to make a difference. There are far too many churches, and you drove past some of them, I'm sure, on your way here from other parts of the community that are, that are shallow, hollow shells. No impact making no difference. And so I would insert a church spent making mistakes is not only more honorable than, than, and more useful than a church spent doing nothing and having no difference. So we're going to keep making mistakes. We're going to keep setting the bar high. We're going to keep asking for a vision that is God-sized. And we're going to trust God to grow us and guide us and lead us. And we're also going to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that in God's vision 3.0, we are going to make some errors. My goodness, in baseball, you know the heroes of baseball miss, they don't get on base seven out of 10 times. They strike out, fly out, ground out. Oh, you have a batting average of 300, you're a star. And so we're going to trust God and we're going to get there. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, one of my heroes of the Bible, I mean, when you listen to what Paul went through, horrific failure, horrific mistreatment, and yet he persevered. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, this treasure, eternal life, Jesus Christ. We're like clay pots. With this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be of God and not from ourselves. We are just clay pots. I'm just me. You're just you. And when God does God-sized things through a church of clay pots, the glory automatically goes to him. And listen to what he says. We're afflicted in every way. We're not crushed or perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. When you read the things that Paul endured in Corinthians, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonment, stone, left for dead, all these things that he went through, I got to tell you, when I think of getting to heaven, if there's a time we sit around with the saints and tell war stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get up and they talk about the time that, that they refused to bow to the king and when they tied him up to throw him into the furnace and talk about the fear and anxiety, well, God, you better come through or I'm done. And then when Peter talks about how when they wanted to crucify me, I didn't feel worthy, so I told them, crucify me upside down when he talks about what it felt like to bleed to death upside down for Jesus' sake. And when Stephen says, yeah, I remember, I could tell things were going bad and the stones started to fly. I knew I wasn't getting out of this. When they start telling the stories of what they went through and Paul talks about how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was in prison, how many times he was whipped and beaten and stoned. And then they turn to me and go, well, Stan, how about your war stories? Oh, I got nothing. Fail, fail, failed a couple times disappointed, nothing. And, and yet Satan wants to take your failures and mine. 
and so browbeat us to get your failure to be your identity. You may have failed, but it doesn't make you a failure. And so I asked Zach, could you take the song, Trading My Sorrows? It's usually a real upbeat worship song. I love it. I want you to do a chill version of it. And I, I want you just to sit. Don't, don't stand. Just sit. You can close your eyes if you want to. But would you just close yourself in? Because there are a lot of us here that, that have failed in one area or another, probably more than once. And Satan loves to beat you up with that as often as he can. There are others of you that are in pain and you're waiting for God to work all things together for good and it ain't happening yet. And so I'd like you to reflect on that. Go ahead and ask God, what about that? And then rather than praying about the church and the vision, I want to pray for you because we are the church. That God will minister to you a sense of hope to persevere, a sense of comfort in your pain, and a sense of confidence that your life is in his hands. Romans 8.28, I have said many times, we know God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But there are many times then and now that I look around at pain in my life or failure in my life, I don't see the work together for good yet. And so I add to that verse, I don't think it's theologically wrong, in parentheses, he causes all things to work together for good eventually. Some of you are in the waiting for eventually part, but he will. There will be a time, and it may not be till we get to heaven, you'll look back and see, but there will be a time that you'll see some good that God got from it. Doesn't mean that it was all, that it was, but you do it all over again, whether it was worth it or whatever, but, but that pain, eventually, and if we'll let him, you can instead just shake a bitter fist at God or, or an accusing finger, and he never is able to accomplish what he wanted through our pain. But if we come to him, notice it, I'm just laying it down. I'm laying it down. God, here's my pain. Or failure. Man, failure hurts horribly. And as I was sitting and listening to Zach, somewhere around the middle of these two, some things happened in my life ministry related that almost took me out. The pain of it. I was ready for the resignation letter. Knees buckled. Couldn't do it. But there was just this whisper of, okay, lay it down. And some of you are there. Your knees have buckled or the failure just keeps coming back and it has stifled you and smothering you and you feel so defeated. So I'm asking you to bow your heads with me if you would. And I just ask kindly, is that you? Are you one of those people who is longing screaming in the quietness of your heart, God, show me the good from this pain. Or are you one of those people and there's failure in your life, in your past, and Satan still likes to use it every chance he can to condemn you, to stifle you, to defeat you from even trying. If failure or pain are a difficulty in your life, I want to close by praying for you and I'm going to invite you to do one thing and that is just to make a stand. 
I am not going to let failure defeat me. And I am going to stand on the promises of God that he will work it together for good eventually if I let him. And so we want to pray for you. But if that's you, Satan wants to use your failure against you or you still haven't seen the good from the pain, just stand all across this place. My goodness, if I could, if I could admit all of this failure to you in front of everyone, you can stand. Because that's part of winning. Doggone it, Satan, you're not keeping me down. I'm going to trust God. I'm not defined by my failures. And he will work things together for good as I trust him. Just stand. So, Father, you see us as your children. Standing in your presence. Would you just kind of open your palms out to him like you're ready to receive something? Would you heal our hearts? Restore our thoughts and our minds. Quiet the accuser and help us to lay these things down. And instead, we pray you will give to us the joy of the Lord. Lord, I pray for comfort in wounded hearts and lives and troubled minds. I pray for peace. And we pray, Lord, for a redemptive interpretation. We could look back over the past seven years and say, wow, failed, didn't make it, that didn't work out. Or we can see how even in the disappointment, you, you turned it to redirect us. You turned it to change us and to grow us and to shape us and to then do beyond what we could ask or think. Lord, take every failure that we look back on and use it for your glory and do beyond what we could ask or think. Take all of our pain, God. Work it together for good and grow us to be more like Jesus. And I pray that Christian Life Center increasingly would be the kind of church to love each other in our struggles, love each other in our failures and our triumphs, and become all you long for us to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Would you all stand together with us? To the many of us who stood, I just want to encourage you now because Satan doesn't go, okay, I guess I'm done with her. No the thoughts will hit you again, probably by tomorrow, certainly by Tuesday or Wednesday. And you just remind yourself, no, I'm a child of God. And he will use my failure. He will get good through this pain. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to lay that down. And I'm going to instead trust on and ask for the joy of the Lord. Put a smile on your face and count your blessings. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. Have a great day. Thanks for being here.